act like you're at war and you have no time for a social life, go all in and just go all in. Don't do anything else. Be a totally, you know, just get rid of all the other things you're doing in your life. People, they try to do everything and you can't. You, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, that is your hobby. You don't get to have hobbies too. That is your life. That is your ministry, whatever you want to call it. You've got to get rid of, you know, you're the priest of that business. <laughs> so get rid of the girls. You don't need them. You'll get them later, especially if they're young. I always tell them, just, you don't need girlfriends. Just move on. Hey, everyone. This is Devin Miller here with the, uh, another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the uh, found, serial entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help uh, startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. Um, today on the uh, podcast, we've got another great journey to tell um, of the guest, John Driscoll. He has uh, done just about everything. So he's a popular speaker, consultant for Fortune 500 companies, tech companies. He's a growth hack. And that's only in the, the more recent future. He's also done a, a whole bunch of fun things with uh, Naked Development, a creative a or development agency, and all, all sorts of other things. And so um, welcome on to the podcast, John. Wow, that, that made me feel really old, Devin. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's supposed to do that. When, oh, when yeah. I've done everything, it feels like I'm done. I'm, I'm at the end of my life and I'm ready to just hang it up. Retire. You know, I would say experience, right? Isn't that the nicer way to put it? Your experience, experience is a nicer way to say it. Yeah, yeah. So serial entrepreneur, does that mean that you were a serial killer and now you're an entrepreneur? Is that what it was? You converted? Uh, you know, yeah. I, you know, as an attorney, I'm not going to either, you know, uh, uh, I'm going to sure. leave death. So you got uh, a privilege on that one. Okay. Right. I'll, I'll maintain I'm my good. privilege. I don't want to get, I don't want to incriminate myself, but the short answer is no, I've never murdered anybody. Okay. All right. Good. Good. All right. Good. We can still so, talk then. Welcome on to the podcast. Maybe we'll turn it over to you. I did a, I, I introduced yourself. I glossed over a whole bunch of things, but let's hear about a little bit about your journey and where you've been and to what brought you. To yeah. Today. Well, it's funny because I spent a lot of my time talking about startup stories and I guess us as entrepreneurs, we're kind of a startup story all by ourselves, right? And, you know, I was, I started in the finance business in sales and finance when I was 18 and kind of worked my way up until I started my own financial service company um, in 1998 and uh, grew that to a large organization here in California and uh, sold that in 06. And I stayed on for a couple of years trying to decide what I was going to do. And uh, then decided to go into consulting once uh, the iPhone came out. So, um, yeah, it was kind of interesting. I took a big turn, but I was making software in the finance business before that. Mm. But uh, I started, you know, just working for some bigger banks. And that's kind of where it started. And now we make social apps and make all kinds of fun stuff. And uh, I, I don't get to make much of it anymore, but I get to have some fun. All right. So we're going to jump in. So financial industry, you're there for the start of your career. And, yeah. uh, you know, did, did well, you were in the, I think the financial services you mentioned, I mean, primarily when we talked a little bit before about the podcast, you started out in mortgages and then you did, you know, sales mm -hmm. software models. Is that right? Am I Insurance. Right? Yeah. Well, well, we had a big sales team, so we started making software for them and that's how I got into software. Um, and, uh, we just started, I, I dreamed up hiring a team and making a big piece of software for our sales team. And we did that, met with IBM, met with all these people. And I 
learned how to make software during that time. Had a lot of expendable income, you know, at the time to, uh, to be able to spend on things like that, disposable income. And uh, so we, uh, we did that. And so once I learned how to do it, I really loved it. And so when the crash kind of happened, I kind of re-looked at my life and decided I wanted to go that direction. And, and then it happened to be right in 2008, the iPhone came out, March 6, 2008, the app store was invented. And that was a big part of my journey was just being in that office one day. I was actually my co-founder of Naked. I was sitting in my office and I went next door and I said, Steve Jobs changed the world. We need to stop everything we're doing and stop the presses and we're going to completely take a pivot. And we did. We went all in. We had no idea what we were doing and we just figured it out. That's what we did. We just, every day we got a little better. So, and, and I think we talked before, and again, I don't want to, I don't might mean to put words in your mouth. So if I tell something. No, it's okay. Something, it's okay. I forget say a something lot. That's not correct, I'm, don't feel bad correcting me. But you know, when I talked before, it sounds like, you know, what you indicated to me, if I remember right, is that you were sitting in your office, you had the lease coming up on the office. You had to either renew the mortgage. You said, man, I've had enough. We're, we're not going to release the mortgage. Let's go do consulting. Is that kind of, is that, well, where, I remember that? That was part of it. Yeah. That we had, well, we had several offices and we had about $40,000 a month in leases and uh, they were all coming due at the same time. And I just said, you know what? I can either keep doing this or I could sell this thing. And I decided, I felt like things were going to slow down and I happened to be really really right about that in in 06 that was a great call and uh i just didn't feel like the market was going the right way and so uh, i was very fortunate not to sign those leases uh and get out and do it at the right time it was very fortunate i was very blessed to do that so and, and i think was it and I, and I simplified it and i get you're not just gonna oh I'm, everything's going right. oh i have to sign a new lease yeah. and so it sounded like you know it, my guess and i think what you talked about before was a little bit also you kind of got towards the end. You're saying, "Hey, I'm I kind of, I'm, I'm worn, not worn out with this. Not that it's not going well, but want to do something different." I think that that gets yeah. into, "Hey, I'm wanting to wind this down. Wanting to do something different." iPhone comes out. You think, "Oh, that's awesome. That's going to change the world. I want to be a part of that." And so, yep. you know, and I think that's a lot of times when you get into entrepreneurs, you get people that you, you know, sometimes you'll start out either with your first startup or even working for somebody else, and you get to the point of saying, "Okay, I'm worn out." I want to do something different. And so, you know, with that, when you get worn out, when you get, how do you make the, make the decision It's time to pull the rip. Obviously if your release is up and you say, this is a great time, you know, it's never that easy. So sometimes it's that simple of a decision, right? You just don't want to take more risk on and you're just like, okay, I'm done with all this risk. Well, the the funny thing is I was a little deluded, Devin, because I, everything had gone really well for me. Mm. Like, I had a really a great first round. My first startup went wildly successful. And so I didn't have any failure. So I didn't know how hard this shit was. <laughs> so and so I, I, once I did my second one, I realized, oh man, this is really hard. Like, you know, I had a really good market. So, uh, you know, trying to figure out how to make software and all that, that was just such a big journey. Mm. that uh, it was a much bigger journey than I went through the first time. And so um, I, I got lucky the first time. Everything went pretty well. I mean, not that it was exactly smooth, but um, it was a lot smoother than my second round, although this has been far more rewarding. 
No, and I get that. And hey, I, I'll take luck over luck over skill any day. If you could be lucky yeah. in the right spot and, and have a good successful company, by all means. And so then you get in, then you get to hit reality when you make your second company. Um, but when you did that, so you got in, you decided to make the jump over 2006, which I agree is great timing. You got out before the market crashed, before all the housing and mortgage yeah. and everything went well or tanked it. And so you decided you made your exit. You jump over to software. Um, you know, and it sounds like you started to get into software with the other financial services and mortgage and that, but you know, how was that to make the transition? Because now you're getting from an industry, I assume, you know, you've had a lot of experience in, you've done it for a while to a new industry. So how do you kind of settle on your idea of this is now what I'm going to do? iPhone's cool. think it's going to be the next thing. So how did you make that transition? That's a great question. Cause I, I think I tell a lot of startups when I get a chance to go around and talk about the story is. What I tried to do is I tried to latch on the thing I did know how to do, which, um, so when everybody says, oh, you went from this to that, I always go, it wasn't that different. And the reason why it wasn't is because to me, I was, no matter what I was doing, whether it was finance or software, I felt like my success was because I was in a marketer. At heart, no matter what I was selling, I was a marketer at heart. So I felt like you could put me in any industry and I could sell, I could market that product so when I got into software I just kind of looked at it like I had to be good at marketing still and that was no different and so I tried to take the common denominator between the two industries and not see them as so different I think that was a big part of it and that's that's a great question because I I don't think I think people sometimes they're constantly seeing how different it is but it's really you know what what is your best skill what's your what's your what are you good at do that same thing in the new thing that you start you know, take that same spin. And I think for me, that's what we did well. We were just, we were good at marketing when we did finance. We were good at marketing when we do software. No, I think that's, that's a great analogy of, hey, you know, there are skill sets regardless of what industry you work in. And even, you know, you could take, you know, and I would say, you know, being a lawyer and I do law, you know, is a, a fairly specialized, right? You go to a large thing, you, I have to pass the bar, I have to go and learn a whole bunch of everything, you know, in law school, although I didn't love it, you know, some of them, everything from property law to constitutional law. And so you're saying, oh, that's so specialized. You're stuck in, you know, you're stuck in law. And yet what I've even found kind of similar to your journey is I, I've done a few startups and, and, and other things that are outside of the law. And yet the things that I learned in law school and that is critical analysis and under, and be able to dissect something and be able to ask, you know, have almost supporter evidence. You can take a lot of those. And if you're, whether you're making a pitch deck and you need to make sure that you ask all the questions that the that where investors are going to ask, or you're saying, Hey, I need to analyze a market, break it down and understand it. You know, you can take a lot of that same skills. And I think just to your point, the things that you've learned in one industry oftentimes translate over a lot better than people sometimes think. Yeah, no, no question about it. Just like, you know, I don't know if you've ever read Ray Dalio's book, Principles, but um, I feel like those same principles that work at one business still work at another. So if you're a good entrepreneur, you're going to be a good entrepreneur. No matter if it's a different industry or not, you're going to use those same entrepreneurial instincts that made you money the first time you're going to do that the second time and i think for me i knew the thing we had to be really good at is communicating our product to people and that was the same problem that i had you know in uh in tech so um you know there was obviously some other nuances but i think it's the same thing you know just find out what you're good at and go after that one thing you know mm-hmm. use that skill so 
So if we were to now continue on your journey, so you made the leap 2006, decided, okay, I'm going to take the same skill set, make that journey. So then, as you, you, and you kind of said the second startup wasn't as easy or didn't get as lucky as on first startup. So what was that no. journey of making that leap, doing you now your software company, developing apps and whatnot? How did that go for you? Yeah, so I think the first three years we were kind of trying to figure out, and it was the wild, wild west, you know, when we started making apps, everybody was starting to make apps. So we started from the beginning uh, and nobody knew what they were doing. You know, um, I mean, some people were better than others, but we were definitely not the front of the lead at all. So we just, you know, we had to make apps and we had to fail fast, fail a lot. You know, we, we had apps fail, they didn't do well. <laughs> and then we, then we got a little better and a little better and we got a little better clients and we started to make some cool stuff. And then we learned how to put a team together and really, you know, and then we figured out how to make money. That was the other thing. Like we did it really well for a while, but we didn't know how to make money. We had no clue how to do that. And then we figured out how to be more efficient and make money. And I think, again, taking the same things I learned from the first time around, it was about the efficiencies of the process and the team and the culture and doing all of those same things, I tried to do those again in the second time. You know, I tried to constantly refine it. And knowing that making money just takes time, you got to keep grinding at it. And you figure it out. And now we're so efficient that we know how to do that now. We can make great software and make money at the same time. Well, that's good. Eventually, you always have to make money. That is that, that, that's always a problem for a business. Even if you're at Amazon or Uber, at some point, you're going to have to make money. I don't think everybody knows that. I think <laughs> uh, a lot of entrepreneurs need to be told that you do need to make money. There is a reason why you're taking all this risk on. <laughs> no, and, and, I, and joking aside, I mean, I think that there's sometimes you think, oh, you know, there is, I think, and there's some truth to it. So I'll, yeah. I'll speak out of both sides of my mouth that you know, making money, you almost say, well, if I build the world's best mousetrap, I'll make money, right? So you get enamored with yeah. the tech, you get enamored with the company or the idea, and sometimes you lose track of, you know, I can make the world's best technology, but I, I also have to figure out how to make money at it. Otherwise, I'm never going to build a business around it. So you can get so excited with the technology and forget the money that the business never goes anywhere. You have to close up shop and you never do it. So I think that you do have to make money. And I'll, if I were to defend the other side, you also have to figure out, you know, how to actually develop something somebody wants, right? So focus too much on the money. That's all you think about. That doesn't work. Yeah. You focus too much on the technology or the business or the cool idea. That doesn't work. So I think that it does take some time to find that, that sweet spot in the middle. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, the, you know, talking about that, it is important to make money, but it's more important. And I think we've always put this as the emphasis that we have a great product and by providing that great product or service that that makes money not putting the money first i think the money has to happen mm -hmm. but it does it shouldn't be the most the biggest priority and i think i'm i'm very fortunate to have a a co-founder that we both see that eye to eye it's all about great quality product we say the best thing is if we're proud at the end of the day of what we put out we're okay with that even if we didn't make money yeah. Um, but, uh, but we did figure out how to make money too, <laughs> but we didn't for a while. It was tough. <laughs> no, I tough. think, and, and I think it's, it's part of the journey. And I, I agree with you. Yeah. If you go too far to the money side and you let money make all your decisions for me, and, and you end up losing the, the reason why you start, did the startup, right. In the sense that money will direct you into places or avenues that 
well, they may make money. You're going to hate your job. And you're saying, well, why am I doing this startup if I don't even enjoy what I'm doing anymore? And it loses that fun. So I think there's that, that, uh, that balance you have to find. So if I did, now, yeah. now we'll go back to your journey because I've drug us way off topic, but it was a fun, it was a fun rabbit hole. No, it's good. It's good. It's fun <laughs> to talk about this. I, I don't get to talk about it very much. Yeah. So if I had to take now, and I think when we talked about before, you know, you may work for some big companies, but one of the things you found along your journey that resonated with me, because I, you know, I do Miller IP lot and I want to have some bigger clients and I work on some bigger projects where I really love is the startups and the small businesses and working with them because they're, they oftentimes have the most fun. They're the most, they can pivot the most, you have the most impact. And it sounds like if I remember right, you kind of found at least similarities with your journey of really wanting to, I think, focus on both mobile as well as startups. Is that right? Yeah. So in our process, you know, we started working with a lot of big brands. And that's why everybody, when they go to our website, they see our logos. Sometimes that scares people off. So they're like, oh, my gosh, you work with these brands. You know, why? I can't afford you or you can't work with me. Mm. Um, but it's not really like that. We actually, in our journey, we realized some of our DNA was really working with startups that we liked innovating and that's a big word with startups, innovating. And because big companies don't innovate very often, they are risk adverse and they don't want to innovate that much. And so they're, they're often, you know, I'll tell you, it's funny. A lot of our projects get flushed down the toilet with big brands. They don't ever make them. They don't ever actually put it into the market. And so it kind of stinks working on something you're really proud of and it never sees the light of day. Startups aren't like that you know, we, we really get a chance to be in the market fast, you know, like in a startup, we can, you know, come up with an idea and launch it in 90 days and be in the market. You mm-hmm. can't finish a contract with a big company that fast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're definitely not going to build that fast. Yeah. So it's, uh, I, you know, it's, it's just grueling working with some of the bigger brands, but Hey, if you're our if you're on this podcast and you're a big brand, please give me a call still. Um, but no, uh, but yeah, no we do. And I have the same way with working with startups and small businesses. It's not like <laughs> turn down the big businesses and they have their place. But it, there is a different, you know, and it's a different, it's almost yeah. a different dynamic. And sometimes I look at it as you almost want to have both, right? You want the big brands are fun to work okay. with. They have the resources. You can do bigger projects. You can do sometimes. Whereas startups, they have their, you know, oftentimes they don't have as big of budgets. They don't have as big a resource. But hey, you yeah. get, they can be more pivot. They can pivot more. You can have more of an impact. And I, the reason, and one of the things that you comments that I was laughing is I didn't, you know. So I, I Miller IP Law. I, I prior to that, I worked with a big law firm. And so one of the things is I worked with some of the big, and I can name out, and you can see the same thing I have on our website. And I know some of the big companies I've worked with. You put on there, and yet, you know, I work with some of these really cool technologies that were just awesome, and I couldn't wait to see them out in the marketplace. And then I'd wait. And then I'd wait. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute. These patents that I really worked on, they're really cool. They never made it to the marketplace. And they just yeah. threw up on the shelf somewhere. I'm like, but it was really cool. And so, no, I, I, can, I just was laughed that there's a, even though it's con- different, fairly different industries, so much of the, the parallels are there. So, it happens almost once a year for us, um, you know, that we get a cool project we work on with a big brand. Thankfully, we did uh, the last big project we worked for a big brand was La- City of Los Angeles. And they launched theirs in September. And uh, we worked on that. We actually worked, they moved pretty fast. It was kind of nice. They were, you know, we were dealing directly with the mayor's office and they were, you know, just launching that, you know, locally really fast. And so that worked out nice. But a lot of them, 
you know, we did Hyundai that never got launched. UPS never got launched. You know, we just see stuff like that. Even my son, who's in the creative industry, worked with uh, uh, another one recently, and they never launched. It was um, Red Bull. Oh, really? You know, pay, and we get paid, you know, it's, but it's that's not what we're all in it for. We we like to see our babies come to life, you know. Um, so. No, and one last tangent, then I'll, I'll jump back to what other thing we talked about. But sure. I think when we talked about it before, and or may, I believe it was me, or maybe it was, or we do, but or maybe I made it up. The one thing I thought was interesting is that you know you take startups and small businesses. They don't have, and I guess you call it the luxury, and I don't know if it's really luxury, of making those mistakes. Startup or a small business, you kind of got one shot. You have to make it work. You have to figure it out. Where some of the bigger brands, hey, we've got enough. We're going to continue to build theirs, but they're looking at ways to diversify. And if one project doesn't work, they've got a few others in the pipeline that they can pivot and go to. Startups and that don't have that luxury, so you almost have to figure it out, make it work, and it has to go to market because you don't have option B. Yeah, you don't have all that that nest egg of money just sitting there waiting for you to make a mistake. You know, that's what the big brands have. It's funny, when you're small, you're agile and you're fast and you get this chance to, and that's your big advantage, by the way, because you can move fast, you can innovate. Big companies can't really do that. They can't move fast like that. So big companies are afraid, they're risk adverse, they don't want to make mistakes. And so as a small company, you want to be big so you don't make mistakes or so that you can afford to make mistakes. But when you're big, you would like to be agile so you can move fast. So it's, you know, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. It's just the way what it those, is. What are those catch-22 scenarios? Yeah. There? Yeah. So now I'll try and pull us back on the topic. And there's too sure. many rabbit holes, and I like to talk about too many fun things. Um, so when you, <laughs> as you were developing this, I think you, and you mentioned you had marketing skills and other things, but you started to look yeah. at the market and almost, you know, grew the product offering to, hey, we're not just doing app developments or we're doing that, but we're also going to offer marketing, even helping to raise money and helping the people figure out other parts of the app development beyond just doing the programming and coding. So how did you kind of make that decision that, because, you know, you can, you get two different philosophies. One is find something you can do, do it really well, be the best in the world and just stick with that. And other times it's let's, you know, hey, there are other things that are kind of you know, we can diversify out to or that we can add a, a fuller product offering and it works for some companies. So I've seen both companies. Yeah, work. let me tell you the principle I think that people get messed up because people will say, you're too diverse. And I'd say, no, 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 we're incredibly focused. So here, here's the thing. The more niched out you are as a product line, the more offerings you can make. Hmm. So in other words, if I said, hey, we're going to do marketing and development and SEO and SEM and all this other stuff for everyone in every industry, that would be too broad. But we're, we are only mobile apps. Okay. We only write in one type of code. Mm. We only have one type of developer. We only have one type of market strategy. And, you know, so we're incredibly focused. But it's, you can add those layers if you have an incredibly niched out customer, right? But I know lots of companies that try to do all things and you can't do that. Like we, we're super focused. So, um, and I think that's, that's the difference is people, they would look at us and they don't really understand the difference. But if you can go out super niched, and I think that's where the world is, specialized services. Mm-hmm. be a specialist at something don't say i'm a specialist and you list 10 things that you do that's crazy you're not a specialist yeah 
Maybe you're not wanting to be a special. That's been my that's been my favorite business card I ever saw. It said notary and it had like accountant. I sell Amway, you know, like, and it, like they had a business card that actually listed out all this stuff. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Is this a joke? Like, you know, but some people's business card reads like that. You know, it's just like, we do everything really well. No, you do nothing well. That's what, that's what it is. You know, yeah, no, you can't do all those things well. Yeah. We, and by the way, we only work with startups, right? We only really focus on startups. So if you really look at all that, we're pretty specialized. No, I, I think that's a great point to make. So I think that that's a good lesson learned. And if you're going to hit, if you're doing a niche, it allows you to, in some sense, diversify because you're specialized, you diversify in that specialty or in that niche. Yep. So you still maintain that focus while being able to do the, the things that make sense to add to the product offering. So I think that's- Yeah, and it all happened out of, uh, and some of it, we have partners. So we say, we're not going to do this, but we have a great partner that does it, you know, mm-hmm. but we'll, we'll be a catalyst for this process. So we, um, you know, we did it out of necessity. We started to raise money because we found that people were really bad at raising money. And then we started to do marketing because we would make these great products. And then the team didn't know how to market their products. And we're like, well, we know how to do that. Mm. You know, so we're like, well, can I hire somebody to kind of have a department to handle that, you know? And so over time, that ecosystem has grown. It didn't happen all at once. We weren't that in the beginning. I promise we, we weren't that. It took time. Sure. A lot of time. Yeah. Well, we are reached at the end of the podcast. And unfortunately, there are about 20 more things that would be fun and many more rounds yeah. we dive down. But I want to be, uh, or we'll, we'll try it. We'll save those for another time to talk through. But I always have the two questions I ask at the end of the podcast. So I'll, I'll hit on those now. So the first question oh, I always ask is, what was the worst business decision you ever made? Oh, wow. Um, I think sometimes trusting the wrong people. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, if you have a, if, you, if in your gut you feel somebody's not trustworthy, just go with your gut. You, you know, it's going to end badly. I promise you, it will go bad, you know? And I think that's probably trusting the wrong person and having a bad, you know, apple in your company. Culture is so important that you cannot allow those bad apples to come in. And so sometimes I got really mesmerized by the person's talent or they just seemed charismatic or all of that. But if I thought that they were sketchy or shady, you should just not, don't, don't risk it. Just move on. Mm. No, I think that's a good point. So okay. yeah, that was a big lesson. A good, good mistake slash lesson learned from. Okay. Now my second question I always ask is somebody that's either wanting to just get into startups or just got into startups or small businesses, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Well, it's funny. I tell young guys, mostly young guys, I get to talk to a lot. Not that I like young women being entrepreneurs. I just don't meet them as, as often as men. And uh, when they're young and they say, oh, I want to do this. And I'm like, do you have a girlfriend? They're like, yeah. I'm like, break up with her. Act like you're at war and you have no time for a social life. Go all in and just go all in. Don't do anything else. Be a totally you know, just get rid of all the other things you're doing in your life. People, they try to do everything and you can't, you, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, that is your hobby. You don't get to have hobbies too. That is your life. That is your ministry, whatever you want to call it. You've got to get rid of, you know, you're the priest of that business. (laughs) So get rid of the girls, 
You don't need them. You'll get them later, especially if they're young. I always tell them, just, you don't need girlfriends. Just move on. You, you know, <laughs> I, I did it backwards. So I got, I got married before I did my startup. So I, I was already, uh, I got luck, lucky in that way. I, I love my wife. But I, I always, I, the one that I do laugh at, it's a parallel, is I always get people that ask me what my hobbies are. And I'll joke and I'll tell them, you know, I usually will start out by saying my hobbies are startups. Like, that is yeah. my hobby. That's what I do if I have free yeah. time and, or if I even have free thinking time. Half the time, if I'm driving or thinking about, I'm thinking about something to build a business with or something to do. I have had to find that, you know, that balance because I have, I'm a married and I have four kids. And actually, it, uh, in about an hour, I get to go and uh, coach my little, my kids, uh, little league flag football team so i did find that fun but i do think that there is there is whether or not it's 24 hours as you were saying or even if it's 12 hours you do have a a needed to have a dedication to the business and focus on it and you have to put aside other things that aren't going to help at least for a period of time because startups take a lot of time a lot of effort and a lot of uh, work so yeah people think that they're going to strike some sort of balance as a startup entrepreneur there there is no balance you, you know, yeah, it, it's one of those jobs. It, it's I don't know where my personal life ends and my business life begins. There are the they're the same thing, you know. Yep. So you just you have to go all in, or or you're not going to do very well at it. I'll no, just I, tell you, that's what it is. Yeah. So, well, as we're reaching the end, um, how do if people want to use your service, they want to get connected or otherwise get involved? What's the best way to reach out to you or to connect with you? Yeah, just go to nakeddev.com. That's it. Easy Simple enough, easy enough, and they can find out more from you. So, all right. Sure. Well, I appreciate you coming on. It's been a fun time. Always more things to talk about than I ever have time to talk about them. So we'll have to have you back on sometime. But uh, so good luck with the, your ongoing journey, and it's been fun to hear about it. For those of you that are interested in uh, telling your journey on the, uh, the Inventive Journey, you can go to inventivejourney.com and apply to be on the podcast. Um, for the listeners, make sure to subscribe on any of the channels that we share it on, and we share it on all the big ones. And uh, for those of you that are needing help with uh, patents and trademarks, feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law, and we're happy to help. John, thanks again for coming on. Thank it was you. a pleasure to have you on. It was a fun journey to hear, and uh, appreciate uh, and wish you wish you the best journey going forward. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me on the show.